Hi everyone, thank you for coming to Formerly Christian. This is Anusha. I hope that you are continuing to push through this world. I, I hope that you are keeping strong, that you are focusing on what your purpose is in life, what you are, who you are, defining who you are, because uh, we live in a world that is constantly trying to define uh, who we are based on their lens. But you should not allow other people to tell you what your life should be. You should not allow other people to tell you what God desires of you. That is, that spirituality should come from you and God, your relationship with God. Or if you're an atheist, you know that you're supposed to define yourself through your own lens. Uh, you know, the problem with religion is that it tries to uh, continuously uh, put itself into your life because it's, it's trying to save you from problems that everybody else face. Uh, your problems are no different from other people's problems, um, but you have to just find the strength and the uh, tenacity to, to help yourself, to strengthen yourself through, through God, through your, uh, your abilities. You can never forget that you are a design of God and that you you don't you don't have anything that you are lacking you have everything that you need to survive in the world but you know we face circumstances in our environments and because of that we may find ourselves in situations or in um you know areas of our life where we feel that we are hopeless or that we cannot move forward uh, i go through those moments too but i have to constantly remind myself that um I have a relationship with God. The reassurance keeps me moving forward, even in my toughest days. Uh, just because you, you know, you have faith in God, does not mean that your struggles will end. Uh, you will continue to face problems, but you will be assured that God's love will guide you through those problems. That you have a, a, a backup uh, in the times when your friends let you down or your relatives let you down. God is always going to be that force that will keep you sane, right? Um, you need that because I'm telling you, you may not have the support of those around you in the way that you would want it uh, or the way that you need it. But uh, if you believe in God, that God's love will carry you through. So I, I want to encourage you to always, you know, keep um, keep an eye out for uh, God's doings in your life, because God is continuously going to make, help you make changes. Uh, you know, you are growing. You are not, uh, you're not a perfect being. Uh, I'm not a perfect being. And we're constantly growing and constantly evolving uh, as, as our journey here on earth will be one of constant growth. We cannot ever think that we are practicing faith and remain stagnant in our own thoughts and in our own doings. Uh, we have to evolve from that. And that is the beauty of life. Like you don't have to be stuck in bad situations. You can uh, grow out of the situations. You can um, find solutions to your situations. But in religion, you know, they'll tell you to just put it in God's hands or put it in the hands of Jesus as the Christians do. Uh, but you, you have to exit that mindset that everything needs to go to God. Uh, you have to enter into the mindset that you have been given everything by God to do what you need to do in this world to survive. God has given us everything, uh, the universe, the earth, the land, water, everything that we need, uh, you know, to, to live through our, our lifespan, we have it. Uh, we just have to acknowledge that 
we we have that that we have to be more confident in what we have so that we can continue to grow so today i want to continue on in the book uh stolen legacy by gm james uh like i said before when you're reading the bible you need to understand that you are reading concepts which have traveled the different translations of the bible are uh, a sign that um, you cannot you know believe that this is god's work or that the bible is a holy book it is not a holy book it is the work of different people different writers different editors different uh philosophers however you want to call them those people uh had some say in what was written in that bible and the english translation uh came you know in 1611 was when europe received that translation so you know before then the bible had gone through uh, various uh, uh, regional uh, areas where it was being told to different lands, okay? So, for example, when you hear a lot of people say that if Jesus existed, Jesus would have been uh, a Jewish person or Jesus would have been from the area of Palestine, what is now Palestine. So you have to question, well, how did how did Paul get to know to write about Jesus when uh, the story was not was on an outpost of Rome, not really in Rome, but near Rome. He had to had documents. He had to have somebody pass something on to him so that he could sit down and write this story. Uh, so you know, you you have to understand that very simple um, conclusion about the Bible that you are not reading one person's work. Uh, you are reading multiple multiple authors. Uh, there are different perspectives about things and a different um, the different ways they conveyed the messages uh, also has to come into your mind. Has you have to understand those little nuances so that you can truly understand what you're reading. You are reading a book of literature. You're reading a book of different civilizations and their cultural ways. There is no set. Um, there's no one-sided analysis to the Bible. There are many sides. Uh, you were reading about many situations, many historical events, and the way that they were interpreted or that they've been told uh, through the different writers' lens and the different editors and so forth. So you just need to be aware of that as, um, as you read through. But I'm on page 23 of Stolen Legacy by G.M. James. Again, this man was an educator who... Uh, talked about how uh, the, the Greeks literally took Africa's uh, civilization's conclusions, everything that had happened in the Upper Nile River and put it into their, their way of um, interpretation, right? And then completed the, the, the philosophers on their conclusions about life were actually just Upper Nile River, um, Upper Nile Valley's area. Uh, conclusions about life. So again, there's historical context that you have to be aware of because the Greeks were in in Africa a lot uh, because Africa had had civilizations which had been in place for for centuries before the Greeks and the Romans were were starting their civilizations. Uh, so a lot of these philosophers were in Africa, um, you know, learning from the different African. Um, concepts and they would bring that over to Greek and to uh, subsequently Rome 
And parts of that ended up in the Bible. You are reading a lot of uh, scientific and spiritual conclusions of, um, of, of, of Africa. You, you, it's in the Bible. It is definitely there, uh, but you are just getting the snippets of it. And you have to do the homework to understand the full version of uh, the books and the full version of how Africa contributed so very widely to the stories of the Bible. So I'm on page 23. Again, the book is online. It's free. It's called Stolen Legacy. So in this part, he's talking about Greek philosophy was the offspring of the Egyptian mystery system. So he goes on to say, the earliest theory of civilization is the Egyptian theory. The Egyptian mystery system had as its most important object the deification of man and taught that the soul of man, if liberated from its bodily fetters, could enable him to become godlike and see the gods in his this life and attain the beautific vision and whole communion with the immortals. Um, I believe I read that part uh, in the last uh, podcast. So uh, there might be a little bit of repetition here, but I'll go on. He says, this liberation was not only freedom of the soul from bodily impediments, but also from the wheel of reincarnation or rebirth. It involved a process of the disciplines or purification, both for the body and the soul. Since the mystery system offered the salvation of the soul, it also placed great emphasis upon its immortality. The Egyptian mystery system, like the modern university, was the center of organized culture and candidates entered it as the leading source of ancient culture. So the Egyptians um, who were really just were the Kemet, Kemet people because Egypt, the word Egypt would come after. Uh, so the Kemet people, they had, of course, they were obsessed with purity. They were obsessed with circumcision. All of that was happening in their times during the different dynasties. Uh, so they also concluded what was more important to them was the soul and the, the physical or physical bodies was just a manifestation of the soul. So a lot of people who went through the mystery system um, schooling, uh, a lot was placed on inner, inner work. You had to master uh, certain concepts uh, so you can understand how much value it is for you to be and it's on an on outstanding citizen. And that included you not just knowing your external environment or your body, your, your physical body, but you needed to know what was important internally. So there was great emphasis um, on, on, on inner work, like I said. So uh, he goes on to say, according to Pitcham, the Egyptian mysteries had three grades of students, the models, example, probationary students who were being instructed, but who had not yet experienced the inner vision. Number two, the intelligence, those who had attained the inner vision and had received mind or nush. And number three, the creators or sons of light who had become identified with or unified with the light, example, true spiritual consciousness. So of course, the Egyptians did not worship the sun, a lot of people think that they, you know, they worship the sun and the 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 caption "Son of God" that uh, that came into Christianity was actually uh, from Egypt, Kemet. Um, they had the 
they concluded the importance of the sun because they were, uh, you know, also analyzing the uh, the coordinates of the cosmos of the stars and of the sun so that they can uh, better serve for um, the ag agriculture. All of that was connected, and they they made a they did a good job of connecting um, solar, you know, the, the solar system and the sun to agriculture and to the waters. They had different conclusions about everything in nature, uh, as well as the human anatomy. Um, so GM James is, is giving some background history. I encourage you to, you know, get a book, get the book. It's online. Again, it's free. And uh, he's talking a lot of a lot of of um, how the Egyptian priests is in this. He says in this section, he says. It was therapeutic. I'm sorry, let me go back. Astronomy dealt with the knowledge and distribution of latent forces in man and the destiny of individuals, laces and nations. Music or harmony meant the living practice of philosophy, the adjustment of human life into harmony with God until the personal soul became identified with God. When it would hear and participate in the music of the, of the fears, it, it was therapeutic and was used by the Egyptian priests in the cure of diseases. Such was the Egyptian theory of salvation through which the individual was trained to become godlike while on earth and at the same time qualified for everlasting uh, happiness. And he goes on to say how um, man and man, it, there was no mediator in the, the world of Kemet between the man and God. It was a straight uh, relationship. And he, is, he says, there is no mediator between man and his salvation, as we find in the Christian theory. Reference will again be made to these subjects as part of the curriculum of the mystery system. So there is no mediator, no middleman, no middlewoman, no prophet, no prophets. Uh, that came about in Christianity because they, they made everything into, into human form. They changed concepts and made them into, um, into people. But again, that is due to the transfer of knowledge, right? Uh, that is due to you receiving information that you really don't know how to interpret because it's from a different region. And instead, you put your own twist on it. And that's what happened with Paul. Paul put his own twist on things. And now you have uh, a figure named Jesus. And you have tribes, uh, people, people who were 12 tribes when actually... 12 was uh, belonged to astrology. Um, it was about the stars and all of that was connected to nature, to the laws of nature, according to the uh, people of Kemet. So again, the, you, you have to understand why the number 12 is such a, a repeated number in the Bible and what, where did it come from? What does that num What did that number mean? Because I can tell you it has nothing to do with 12 tribes because when you think of the context of that, um, that region would have more than one tribe and whether or not they had the tribes at that time uh, is a, another part of analysis. Like everything, you know, there was, there was always there, what was there and what became. When the writers started writing, what, what did they really know about um, the civilization of Egypt um, or were they just making conclusions based on how they interpreted that region versus what was truly happening. There's that big difference um, because, you know, when Europeans, for example, tell 
Africa's history, <laughs> they ruin it. They don't understand what was happening. They they don't understand the the true culture of what was happening in the different African countries. But in, and instead of actually learning, they just put their own twist on things and they started calling people, you know, dictators. And then you had the carving of the bound of the the borders between the African countries, and of course that created friction. So it's a different a different angle when someone else from a foreign country is telling your story. Uh, they may not understand it in the way that the people who are actually there would tell the story. That's the point I'm trying to make. So. GM James goes on to say, but the study of science was a required condition to membership in the Egyptian mystery system. And its purpose was the liberation of the soul from the 10 bodily fetters. And if the Greek philosophers study the sciences, then they were fulfilling a required con condition to membership in the Egyptian mystery system and its purpose, either through direct contact with Egypt or its schools or lodges outside of its territory. So, uh, they were definitely there. The philosophers did study in Egypt. They were in Egypt and they were, uh, of course, uh, aiming to learn the Egyptian school of thought. Uh, but again, when they went back to Greece and uh, transferred that information, it was it was completely different. You had uh, Egyptian, I mean, um, Greek myth, mythical stories as a result of they learning what was in Africa, they just messed everything up, but they told the, the history and the conclusions of their Egyptian mystery system through their lens. And what we got was Greek uh, mythology, uh, stories about Hercules and the Iliad and all of those are, you know, stories um, of myths. They were, but those myths are connected to something else. The stories have a connection, a historical connection. So I wanna go on to read more from, let me just take, go down a little bit. Uh, again, the book is online, it's free. So you can definitely get a hold of it and uh, read it and see how, how interconnected um, a lot of uh, what uh, Greek, Greece and subsequently Rome would, um, would make of this, this uh, cultural conclusions of another another person's or another culture's um, uh, history. So, <clears throat> excuse me, GM James goes on to say, from the conquest of Egypt by Alexander the Great, the Greeks who were always attracted, attracted by the mysterious worship of the Nile land began to imitate the Egyptian religion in its entirety. And during the Roman occupation, the Egyptian religion not only spread to Italy, but throughout the Roman empire, including Brittany. This, this assimilation of the Egyptian religion was confined to the gods of the Osirian cycle and the Greco-Egyptian Serapis and aimed at a close imitation of the ancient traditions of Nyland. So this is where he's saying, um, you know, this is how they did it. Uh, once they interpreted what they had learned in Egypt, uh, they started to put their own twist to it. They were imitating something that was not... Uh, that was not to their understanding of, for one, they really didn't understand the, the Egyptian mystery system because there were some deep concepts to it. And instead of just, you know, creating their own Greek-like civilization, they instead was just copying another culture's uh, way of doing things. So he goes on to say, page 30, during the sixth century, however, Justinian issued a second edit 
which suppressed this remnant of Egyptian worshipers and propagated Christianity among the Nubians. With the death of the last priests who could read and interpret the writings of the words of God, the Egyptian faith sank into oblivion. It was only in popular magic that some practices lingered on as traces of a faith that became a universal religion or the survival of a statue of Isis and Horus, which were regarded as the Madonna and child. So I know you've seen the image of mother and child um, that is um, Isis and, uh, and mother, and, and sorry, child. And so these are, this Madonna and child as it's still, you still see in Rome, the, the black baby that was also a, that came from Egypt also that did not start in Rome, it did not start in, in Greece. It was a um, Egyptian mystery uh, system ideology because everything was about the mother in ancient Egypt. Uh, you know, everything was surrounded about how um, the, the beauty of, of mothers because the Egyptians for many centuries uh, saw the importance of, of birth of who was the, the the individual who gave birth to civilization, and the mother was. Um, so, in in Judeo Christianity, there is that anti woman uh, mentality. Uh, it is very disruptive because when you read about the women in the Bible, uh, you see them being featured as harlots and prostitutes, and they are not regarded. Uh, in the celebratory way that the Egyptians uh, worshiped the woman or that the Egyptian acknowledged the beauty of the woman. So it's a complete, completely different um, way of looking at, at the female. Uh, and you still see that now. You still see how the religions are not, um, not appreciative so much of the woman because they seek to, they seek to uh, dominate her and to destroy her if necessary. So I'm just going to read a few more points. I'm on page 31 of the book. Um, this is where he's saying, um, so he goes on to say, Napoleon's invasion of Egypt brought a revival of interest from the West to decipher her inscriptions and property with a view to an understanding appreciation of the most ancient of civilization. So this is where he's talking about uh, religion. Uh, now Napoleon is there. Again, Egypt has many phases of history that, uh, you know, that was what was happening before uh, the era of conquest. And then, of course, what happened after they arrived. So he made this following points. He says, the Egyptian mysteries had become the ancient world religion spreading throughout the Roman Empire, including Italy, Greece, Asia Minor, and various parts of Europe, including Brittany. This continued under different names long after Justinian's edict of toleration granted to the Christians. Egypt was the holy land of the ancient world, the, that pilgrimages were made to that land because of the marvelous revelations and spiritual blessings which it afforded the ancient peoples and because of the universal conviction among the ancients that Egypt was the land of the gods. The edicts of Theodosius in the 4th century AD and that of Justinian in the 6th century AD abolish alike not only the mystery system of Egypt, but also its philosophical schools located in Greece and elsewhere outside Egypt. Okay, he's making a few points here. Um, 
the abolition of the Egyptian mysteries was to create an opportunity for the adoption of Christianity. This was the problem. The Roman government felt that Egypt was now conquered in arms and reduced to its knees. But in order to make the conquest complete, it would be necessary to abolish the mysteries, which still controlled the religious mind of the ancient world. So when they were there, they were plundering the things. The goal was to destroy uh, civilizations we'd had, which had um, given so much information and so much conclusions about life. They had their own culture. They had their own ways of looking at things. And once the, uh, the Greco-Roman uh, empire was flourishing it, and their communication with the uh, ancient Africans, of course, you had plundering. So he goes on to give one more point that I will read from. There must be a new world religion to take the place of the, the Egyptian religion. This new religion, should, which should take the place of the mysteries, must be equally powerful and universal. And consequently, everything possible must be done in order to promote its interests. Again, this is, um, he's explaining how Christianity became the, the dominant religion because once the, the you know, Napoleon or you know Alexander the Great, they were there with the intent to destroy. They were not there to only learn about what was there. Uh, they were definitely destroying a lot of uh, what was already created by the ancient Egyptian people. And that was a lot of um, school of thought, uh, a lot of lessons in learning about the world around uh, the ancient Egyptians, they were very big on that. They they were very uh, much into, you know, what was happening in the environment and, and, you know, transferring that knowledge to the self. What did the person need to do to become a better person, to become wholesome? Uh, all of that was being done. And you just think of how different that is, um, or at, at least the ancient Egyptians' way of doing things was just so different from what we now know about religions. Because, you know, the Abrahamic religions, they're just so anti-science, for example. Like, they are just uh, interested in saying God is going to take care of everything or that God is the one sending uh, storms and hurricanes and so forth. When it isn't God that is doing this, it's our environment. But you have to learn the environment that you're in so that you can have conclusions. You can make better conclusions about the world that you live in. And that subsequently, those conclusions will help you to um, live, or live in a different way. So, you know, you cannot waste your, have the water running for a long time because that is wasteful. You know that you cannot, um, you know, they're just, it's just that whole, the whole science of living. Uh, the ancient Egyptian people knew that. They had their own way of looking at nature, their own way of looking at God, the creator. Uh, they had mastered all of that by at least the fourth uh, dynasty, uh, not fourth century. I, I believe I made a mistake in, in my last podcast and said fourth century. I meant fourth dynasty. They were they had dynasties and they had over thirty of them. So they had you know they had created enough content, enough um, can, enough diff, enough ways of looking at life in their own ways, their own lens, not through other people's lens. So I encourage you to read through that book. It's 135 pages, and I hope to have you again in my audience. I will probably reference it some more uh, in the future. Thank you.